17 minutes it is uh, before 9 p.m. We're under the microscope this evening here on Metro FM Talk and uh, we continue with our discussion on the public sector wage bill and uh, joined by economist Dumakubule who says public sector workers are frequently perceived as selfish and privileged and must win the hearts and minds of South Africans. But uh, the big issue is certainly not about the wage bill but about the political economy of austerity. Pratuma, good evening to you and welcome. Yes, I'm yeah. well, thanks. I'm well, thanks. I had a brief discussion, uh, you know, and I guess we've been sort of going with this for most of the show tonight, um, where I was trying to make sense. I mean, the budget review in February 2020 was saying that uh, over the last few years or so, because of OSDs and all manner of other things, the public sector wage bill has grown uh, to around 518 billion or somewhere there from around 162, I think. Uh, and that hasn't been met with improvements in productivity. Now, I'm interested in understanding what they mean by that, but also who measures it uh, and what attribution is given to the worker vis-a-vis maybe the responsibility placed on government as the employer to provide the tools of the trade and an enabling environment for performance to happen. Okay, so I'm not sure how you measure productivity in the public sector. We understand how it's measured in the private sector. Mm. Shall step out of that. So these are the numbers. So what happened is that... um, in 1996-97, the, the wage bill was 40.8% of consolidated spending. Now, in the first period of our post-apartheid, between 19, the gear years, 1996 to 2003, as mm-hmm. I always say, the public sector, there were slash and burn policies, and we cut 200,000 workers. And then during the boom years, we actually employed 200,000 workers, um, in, mostly in health and so forth. And... Um, Despite absorbing more than 200,000 workers during that period, the, the wage bill as a percentage of total spending went down to 32.9%. Now, you can't analyze this wage bill without looking at the occupation-specific dispensation. Mm. I think people don't uh, understand the level of skills in the public sector. Um, the example I use is that there's about 5,000 medical specialists who earn $1.3 million a year. 1 million, um, sorry, uh, 15,000 doctors who earn a million rands a year. And those 20,000 people alone account for 10% of the entire public sector wage bill. So what government was doing with occupation-specific dispensation, they were trying to, they were losing workers to um, the private sector. Nurses were emigrating. So they said, let us, and you must remember that the economy was doing well, let's up the salaries of these people, the skilled people, the judges, the nurses, the pharmacists, everything, and let's up their wages. There were huge increases when I bought up in 2009, 2010, 2011, double digit, like it's like even 16, 17, 18%, somewhere there. So that's what happened, okay? Now, since then, it has moderated as a percentage of um, total spending. So what my point is, is that, the public sector wage bill, it, it's in, you measure it as a percentage of GDP. That's the only thing it makes. So if the economy is growing, we can afford um, to increase. If, you say, if the economy is growing faster than the wage bill is growing, then it's not a problem. So we must have a fast-growing economy mm. to be able to absorb more public sectors because the shortages that I looked at, if we have to reach OEC benchmarks um, for doctors, it's about 148,000. And if you exclude the, the private sector, it's about 200,000. For the shortfalls for nurses to OECD benchmarks, it's about 290, 
2,000 if you only look at the public sector. And if you look at private sector nurses, it's about, um, it's, it's a lower figure. So what I'm trying to say, we've got huge shortages um, in terms of frontline workers, but um, there may be problems at the top mm. in terms of um, the management, but we can't, nobody in the right, I was at the talks, and everybody agrees that the public sector is not bloated, yeah, yeah. So, so let's talk about that top-heavy structure because you know a lot of a, a lot of uh, stuff has been bandied about saying you know average wages are around seven hundred and something thousand. Uh, but I guess you know, uh, in that some is, cases, that was a, f- a fake news about ESCOM, and um, yeah, but that was no, no. I just mean broadly system. in the public yeah. service, but um, I guess also there's a bit of a limitation with averages because what tends to happen is that many of those wages at the top of that distribution. Uh, end up yes. pulling up uh, those wages, and that's probably not what a frontline, you know, auxiliary nurse is getting uh, out, you know, at Livingston Hospital in PE. Yes. So the, we we don't now the problem I've seen I've worked with the unions and I've seen some of the numbers. There isn't enough aggregation to know, but the the senior management service um, that's where the wastage is, mm. and that's what I believe. And but I, we can't. We've got shortages of frontline workers. Now the budget is wanting to cut twenty thousand um, police officers. Now that's going to make crime worse. Um, they want to cut p- people, um, teachers. That's going to problem with um, learning outcomes, h- high teach class sizing, and so forth. And the same thing in health. They're making cuts to public health. I don't think that's sustainable in the long run. So the real problem over the last decade, when I uh, is that the economy has been hasn't been growing. Mm. If the economy was growing, we would be able to employ much more people. Do you see what I'm saying? Sure, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Pratuma, I want so us we to should, pause here for yeah. a second because. Uh, we need to take a spot break, but when we come back, I want us to talk about this. South Africa doesn't have a credible growth story. I mean, you could see Fitch coming out last week and saying, we don't buy the story of uh, public sector wage freeze as part of your bigger growth narrative. Uh, and I want us to come back to that theme after this brief break. This season of Living Land pays special emphasis on the next generation and their role in agriculture, rural development and food security. Living Land is aimed at bringing the youth back into agriculture. Join Kamohelo Bombe on the new season of Living Land every Saturday at 1.30 in the afternoon on SABC2. Brought to you by SABC Education, enriching minds, enriching lives. We're under the microscope this evening uh, uh, here on Metro FM Talk. And this uh, evening, talking about the public sector wage bill. Now, a lot happening over the weekend at the Public Sector Coordinating Bargaining Council as uh, all of the parties try to find one another uh, in what, uh, if it doesn't, of course, uh, get, get some immediate resolution, might be a very catastrophic general strike in the public service. Now, I'm joined by Tumak Kubule, who's an economist and founding director at the CEDT. And we're talking about... Uh, the public sector wage bill as part of the broader growth story that South Africa is selling to many economic actors, least of all creditors and uh, the ratings agencies. And uh, Pratuma, you say all of this issue is a side story if we can't get growth going. And, and I'm quite interested in your view on uh, you know whether or not we have a credible growth story uh, because it's quite clear that many do not believe, especially this public sector wage slashing element of that growth story, let alone some of the debt targets or even the pursuit of a primary budget surplus. Hello. Hi. You still there? Sorry, I thought, I, I thought I'd lost you. So now, so I was reading this article in the Financial Times about a month or two ago, mm. and they were talking about the emerging market debt crisis, and, the, and then they quote this guy from City, City, and he says the debt people should worry about is that of countries that do not have a reliable growth model. What India has is growth credibility, 
an appeal it shares with Indonesia, Hungary, and Poland. Mm. But if you lack growth credibility, Brazil, South Africa, and Mexico lack it, then the market is not prepared to give you the benefit of the doubt. So what I'm trying to say here is that every country, Ayabonga, had the same shock to GDP and tax revenues. So in relative terms, our debt is exactly where it was before the crisis. So, it does, so, so we, are ex- we are exactly where we were before the crisis. So what people are looking for, are you going to grow your economy? Now, South Africa, what we're doing, there were stimulus packages of $16 trillion in the world, developed and major developing countries. Now we are withdrawing $265 billion from the economy over the next three years. What, what that means is going to impede the recovery this year, and I believe it's going to, we're going to go back into recession next year and the year after. Mm. So that is not a growth story. When the economy is not growing, our debt to GDP um, starts looking worse, but if we have to grow out of this problem, there's no way out of it. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you mention that because uh, we've heard many people talking up the need for fiscal rules. Now, I mean, I find that quite weird in a context where once in a century, shock on your economy. Uh, the first thing you're thinking of is containing as much public spend as you can so you can run a primary budget surplus and you can keep debt to GDP around 50 to 55, which is quite an arbitrary target, but let's work with it for now. Uh, And all of this is in what is called the Fiscal Responsibility Bill, which is a member's bill put uh, forward by um, MP of the DA, Jordan Hill-Lewis. What do you make of that? And I guess uh, whether or not you've seen some overlap in that story, in that particular bill, and I guess what... Uh, many um, in the fiscal policy environment have been trying to push for? You know, the f- funny thing is that um, at the World Bank IMF meetings um, last, um, you know, the, the ones in the spring, last, oh, last yeah, year. spring meetings, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a whole thing that, that was a week austerity died because the IMF came out and said, no, we, we don't believe in austerity. Countries must spend their way out of this crisis. Mm. And um, I find it strange that South Africa is one of the few countries, I don't know any other major economy, where, which is trying to implement this austerity policies. And most countries decided that the best way is to spend their way out of the crisis. Why should we be different here? Mm. There's also a question about the composition of that spending, Pratum. And I want to hear your perspective on you know, what composition of spending would be a spending that at least gives some credibility to our growth story, but staves off the recession that you think is uh, highly likely. Yeah, so so the solution basically... So, I mean, I find that quite startling. I mean, the world in economic ideas is moving in a particular kind of direction. And yet, here in South Africa, I mean, whatever report you read, uh, everybody is really, I guess, in somewhat of a panic now with the new offer at the PSCBC because... What it suggests is not just the lack of a credible growth story for South Africa, but for some uh, on the right side of the spectrum. Uh, it's not a credible austerity story. So yes, they're saying it's not a credible fiscal consolidation or austerity story. I mean, yes, yes. because anyone with half a brain, album would have known that, you know, they're not going to achieve those wage freeze for two mm. years. It's impossible in South Africa, you know, and um, it's just not going to happen. And I think Fitcher is correct in Everybody from day one was skeptical that government can pull it off. Now, the government is behaving, and Bosi was telling me this, was this vehicle, but behaving as if they've already won the court case in, in the constitutional court for, mm. the last, um, for the last year of the previous agreement. So if they lose that, and there's so many risks to this. So I, I, I agree with what you're saying. The people on the right are not happy, and the people on the left are not happy yet. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Let's just talk briefly, I guess, about the new offer and what you make of it. I mean, 1.5%, it seems, across the board, and 
you know, just under a thousand rand in a cash gratuity payment as a sweetener. Um, very far from CPI plus three or four percent, which uh, was the opening negotiating position for the trade unions. What do you make of this and how do you think it's going to unfold from here onwards? Okay, I was arguing with the people from the unions. I say it's nothing new because the people from Treasury say nothing has changed. There was already in the budget. And so, there, so basically what they're saying is that the, the cash offer is 14 billion rands mm. and then the 1.5 is 8.8 billion rands, so it's 22 billion rands. It's very, um, but the problem is it, some of it was already budgeted for in the budget, you know. So the budget had an increase of 14 billion rands already. So, the, so I, do, I don't think it changes the fiscal framework in any material So this is way. a fiscal neutral suggestion on the part yes. of uh, the... Yeah, uh, but the unions are telling me that, no, this is new money. I said, but <laughs> this money was already in the budget, and then they're saying, no, they understand it to be new money. Because originally the, the 2.7% gratuity was supposed to come from the benefits of the workers. So the workers say they rejected that. It must come from... They don't know where government is going to get it. They must get it. So I'm not sure what the detail of the current offer is. It's very hazy to me at the moment. Pratuma? Yeah. We'll have to leave it here. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'd love to talk to you after that August constitutional court judgment because, um, yeah, depending on how the coin falls on that one, uh, there's going to be very, very interesting outcomes leading to the local government elections. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time. Tuma Kubula is the founder at CEDT and uh, an economist uh, who uh, is arguing that, um, yeah, the big issue here is not necessarily the level of the public sector wage. The big issue is do we have a credible story on how you grow this economy? Uh, and you're certainly not going to grow it uh, with the kind of um, aggressive uh, path of fiscal consolidation that we've seen. Uh, and it's also, it seems, uh, a story that many of the ratings agencies and creditors are seemingly not buying. And I guess that's the difficulty of the moment, Ndozobao. We're going to have to leave it here, folks. Uh, the man with the music is standing by. He's with you from 9 through to midnight with uh, soulful accompaniment for the remaining hours of today. Big thank you, Jaws, and Nawe uh, Chola, for putting together this great product. Have yourself a great evening. Take strength, my Africa. Kubanangoko, Sasai Banga, Le Economy.